0: Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all right, around in the breeze. well, it's all right, if you live the life you please,
1: well, it's Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Excellent to be here today, as always. A lot of interesting things to talk about. Uh, first, I just want to say, man, it feels like it's just been natural disaster after natural disaster after natural disaster it's like the hurricanes and the wildfires and now the mudslides and gosh it really feels like it's and it, it has been one after the other after the other big natural disasters and it's not I mean, you know, they happen for sure, unfortunately, but it seems like this time is especially dense with them. Is that do you feel that way, Eric?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would uh, agree with that. It seems like these natural disasters are becoming unnatural, if you will, (laughs) in how much uh, how many times we get hit with them. Uh, And uh, of course, uh, you know, it kind of lines up with what folks say about uh, climate change happening. So I guess we can expect more of them, unfortunately.
1: Mm. It feels like there's more frequency, higher frequency, back to back to back to back to mm-hmm. back. Man. And I always, you know, of course, you know, in hearing about the mudslides recently, most recently, and the, uh, the people who've been killed and the people that they're pulling out of the mud. And I always think of the pets and the animals that are impacted, you know, each time that we hear of a new one and uh, just... Just I always think of that unfortunately um
0: well, they're the you know the victims that don't get quite as much press sure. as you know the the pets sure. that are left behind or uh the hopefully taken, but sometimes they have to get separated from their family just because of mm-hmm. how people are sheltering
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I've talked with Tim Percival, actually, a few times over the years on the show. Uh, he's a great one to go back and, and search for in our archives about uh, disaster preparedness for your pet. And um, he was also deployed down to uh, Houston uh, more recently for uh, some. He's a first responder, and um, he's had, he's been a great interview. He's a great guy. Tim Percival is his name. Uh, you can go back and search on our website, dogradioshow.com. There's a search, a little search bar you can just type in his name, P-E-R-C-I-F-U-L Percival. Um, okay, so totally changing topics now, um, unintentionally in this order. Uh, you know, I love dog cartoons, dog videos, and, <laughs> and dog, you know, dog related cartoons. I
0: expect you to love pretty much all things, uh, dog. Pre- so
1: Pretty much, um, but I love a good dog cartoon, and I've got a great one that's on our Facebook page right now. Um, it's a picture of a of like a um, corporate board, like a corporate office. <laughs> oh, I saw this. Did you see yes. this one?
0: Yes, this is fun.
1: And the dog is like, there's a dog at like the head of the table and wearing like a, a shirt and tie, and, and he's saying. Tentative, tentatively, or I said tentatively, uh set the date. Don't mark your calendars yet. And then it shows Yeah. It shows that there's three other dogs around the table and they're all lifting their leg on calendars. They're like mark your calendar. Oh my god, that is funny. That's a good one. I'm not easily amused. I don't you know, I'm not like I, I'm critical uh generally but yeah good dog cartoon i tell you and there's a lot of uh there's a lot of good border collie ones too that seems to be a a focused on um a focused on um dog breed or something like that there is one where there's like a border collie and and sitting across like a restaurant table from a sheep or you Mm. and um the border collie's saying something like what do you mean i'm too controlling like they're having like a fight in their relationship yeah right (laughs) Love a good dog cartoon. If you've got a good one, feel free to share it on our Facebook page. And if you're not a, a fan of us on Facebook, definitely find us the Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Facebook. That's a good one, though. That was actually one that I posted like three years ago, and it came in my on my personal page, and it came up again in memories, and so I shared it again. L O L. So uh, I got super excited, and this was actually the fall 2017 issue of psychology today. So it's taken me a little bit to get, uh, to get this information on the show, but I was at the grocery store and I saw that, uh, psychology today once again has focused on the word no as their cover story. No, how to stand up for yourself, even when it hurts. And it's just got this woman like, uh, N O and, I love weaving human psychology with the conversation about how what are the what are the most effective or appropriate ways to work with dogs because that is an area where people are very confused, where there's a lot of varying information out there from different professionals Don't ever tell your dog no is what you'll hear some people say a lot. Um, I think some of the most mainstream um, efforts to have there be some sort of standard in training are what you would call all positive. If you've listened to the show for years, you know, I've talked about this consistently over the years. And I think it's ridiculous to say that you shouldn't tell your dog no or have that quality of communication of, of of correction. Um, why? Because dogs do it to each other. They correct each other. Get off of me. Stop humping me. Back off. Whatever, right?
0: Can't tell you how many times today I've
1: heard. It <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get off of me. Um so it's just like so it's just interesting to look at this phenomenon um from a perspective of human psychology because we can't we're the ones having the conversation. So we have to look at like what are how are we projecting our own um, insecurities about boundaries or our own complications about boundaries because it's a thing. This is now the second time that psychology today has featured no on their cover. And this was October 2017 um, is the date on this issue. And um, and they did years ago. And I actually included this, um, their last article, which was a few years ago, at least now, um, actually referenced it in my book, which I'll be publishing sometime in the next year, maybe a little more. But we've, we're working on getting this uh, weekly video set up now before we move the book forward. So. Um, And I referenced that last um, last year, which was just a few weeks ago. Uh, But we're going to be we are expanding the brand of the radio show, which is super exciting. We're going to be offering weekly videos and all sorts of other great stuff uh, in addition to our weekly um, show and podcast. So stay tuned for that. And a great way to stay tuned for that is to, one, listen to the show, because, of course, I'll be talking about it and keeping you posted, but also through our Facebook page as well, The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. So so I was in, uh, you know, just waiting in line, and I saw this, you know, N-O, and I was like, oh, and grabbed it and was super excited to, you know, have the opportunity to talk about it. You know, and I'm not exempt from this. I'm not saying, like,
0: do you think they recommend using a uh, squirt bottle for humans as well <laughs> when you say no?
1: I didn't see that in this article. Okay. Because
0: <laughs> that seems to be like it, it can be pretty effective when you're training.
1: So that's, yeah, you know, that's cause and effect. And if you're like, don't uh, put your face in the, in the garbage in the bathroom or don't, uh, you know, try to steal that off the counter or something like that, squirt, squirt bottles can be effective. You know, one of the things about dogs, and it's kind of ironic, but one of the things about dogs that's so refreshing is that they're so direct. Yes. They are not complicated about boundaries, generally speaking, in the way that people are, for sure, which is kind of the point, right? Like, hey, we're kind of complicated about this topic, and I think we're bringing our complication into the conversation about how we set boundaries with dogs. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it's not um, it's not good because people are then you know the general public is then not equipped with just basic ways to um, establish space respect or you know so so it's it's important actually in our relationship with dogs. To have some personal boundaries so that we just generally have established some level of respect. Because if, so in the dog world, where they really are very, very keenly aware of boundaries and control and kind of where leadership plays out in the dog world, um, control of interactions, control of attention. So initiating interactions, um, you can see this real uh, in a real basic interaction. Like when you see two dogs meet, you often see them sniffing each other, right? Or one dog sniffing the other dog. Like one dog's holding still, and the and there's another dog like sniffing their butt. Um, there's actually a lot going on. Like a lot of times, people will will witness this happening, and then the dog being sniffed. Tries to just walk away, and the dog sniffing will actually correct the like correct the dog, which to people who don't know what's going on, kind of looks like um, looks like they're like being attacked, and it's like that's that's not you know that that well, why did you do that? Like the dog was just walking away, and the reason is because the dog sniffing is the one who's higher up. Um, so this is being really general and simplifying this, but that's kind of the point of this. The the basically the dog being sniffed wasn't dismissed. I wasn't done. You tried to walk away before I was done sniffing you, and so that's why the correction happened. So it's a it's a control of the timing of the interaction. When when does it start? When does it stop?
0: Don't walk away while I'm talking to you, basically. Yeah. Right.
1: So in training, in obedience training, we can work on leadership dynamic really uh, in a really organic way when we take obedience training to a level of establishing with a dog okay you've learned what this word means now and now I'm going to work with you in a way that establishes that I want you to do it after I ask you the first time and I want you to hold it until you're released so that puts us in the position of saying when it starts and saying when it ends in the dog world that is leadership dynamic there's a social dynamic that we're able to work on and that's very natural because that for dogs because dogs already do that with each other so they get it space respect too. like how you how your dog and you relate to each other spatially is huge in the dog world so you know dogs that are um jumping all over people or pawing at them and, you know, demanding their attention and climbing all over them and getting up on the back of the chair. And, you know, I'm not saying like that you can't cuddle with your dog and that it's not okay to have your dog in your space. I love having the dogs up next to me on the couch, the head in my lap. Like, I love that. But You know, it's not an issue for us. Like if I go to sit down next to one of my dogs, they're not going to growl at me and tell me that I can't sit next to them. Or if I need to move a dog out of a spot, they will move. You know, they'll yield to me when I ask them to. There are some dogs that won't. They'll challenge that. No. And they'll growl. So in those situations, we have to really put some structure in place. Maybe that dog shouldn't be allowed on the couch for a while. All right. Lost the privilege of that space. So space respect is huge, too. But the point is that boundaries generally, boundaries. So dogs aren't verbal. We're, you know, talk, 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 talk. Uh, We are. Um, But dogs communicate in, you know, non-verbally. They're vocal. So they certainly make different noises that definitely have meaning. Um, They communicate with their bodies, with with what they actually do, with their posture, with their energy, all that kind of stuff. And boundaries are important. And it's important for us to have just basic boundaries with our dogs to be set. And we are complicated about this. And this is what the article, this article speaks to and what the other one that was published a few years ago speaks to as well. And it's interesting because um, I think why I get so jazzed about this in addition to just it's interesting to me is that I've worked with so many people who express their complication around boundaries and I think it's it's definitely more um, more commonly I see it more commonly with women than men which makes sense based off of how we're raised how we have historically been raised and uh, there's more of um an expectation for women to be nice and therefore likable and that's a survival thing from years and years and years ago and there's a lot there and a lot of that is in my book. So stay tuned for that. so there's a lot of reasons why I understand but um but you know people come to me like hey I'm having this problem and um and then I'm giving them coaching and and part of that coaching involves setting a boundary and they're like Ooh but I, you know, feel, I don't know, or I feel guilty or, oh, you know, and so we bring our own stuff to it. So I'm just going to point out some kind of some highlights from this um, article that I, that I, you know, that it says and is kind of speaking to this. And, um, and some of the things I thought was kind of like, mm, I don't know about that. But I guess that's where the people in dog world are different because they talk about maybe giving a reason why or explaining yourself. I don't know. There's a whole lot there. Some of it actually kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But and again, that's why dogs are so refreshing in some way, because they are just so direct and straightforward about it. Um, For such a, uh, so this is quoted from the article, for such a tiny word, no, looms large in our consciousness. We don't like saying it and we don't like hearing it. But it is the sharpest weapon we have in the clash between our desire to connect with and please others and our need to assert and defend our individuality and autonomy. How we wield no, if we do at all, has great consequences for our mental health and our ability to thrive. It actually says in the article saying no uh, tends to be more of a struggle for women than for men. Research has consistently shown uh, women's wariness of no has some justification. According to Catherine O'Brien, who was at the time of this at Baylor School of Medicine, Uh, women who said yes tended to be more valued in the workplace, while those who turned down requests received worse performance reviews and fewer recommendations for promotions. They were also less well-liked. Other research has shown that when women act assertively in pursuit of their interests, which could include saying no, they're punished by both men and women for violating gender stereotypes. Now this is up right now, big time in a good way. I mean, in a needed way boundaries, really. Um, Eric, did you happen to watch the Golden Globe Awards?
0: You know, I didn't watch it, but I've heard quite a lot about it since Mm -hmm. then. It's made quite a lot of news with the Time's Up movement and Oprah's speech. And, you know, so a lot of uh, it sounds like a lot of good things came out of it.
1: Oprah's speech was amazing. Very. And we watched like maybe the last hour, hour and a half of the whole um, night including Oprah's speech. So there was a, a context already there and a lot of reference to inequality and me too. And time's up and all this was very much that, you know, in the air. And then Oprah gets up and she's um, being recognized and she gives a whopper of a speech. Very moving. If you haven't seen it, I recommend um, looking that up and watching it. So, It's interesting that there's this insecurity that we bring to our... That we can bring to our relationship with our dogs. I have heard verbatim from clients, um, I'm afraid of telling my dog no or, or setting this boundary because I'm afraid that my dog won't love me or like me. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, like that is a way that you know that's a very uh complicated feeling and a big fear i mean a real big fear of rejection and i think that that's a lot of what gets in our way with other people is that we're afraid that if we say no that then that person is going that there's going to be a consequence right Mm -hmm. um so a lot of our ability to say no you could say to generalize reflects our um, sense of security, like within ourselves, like our sense of self, um, self confidence, our um, our self worth. So if I can say no, um, you know, to to whatever request, because that's that doesn't work for me for whatever reason, and it's you know it's a va- a valid, thoughtful, mindful. I'm not just being a jerk you know, I have a good reason, and I've thought about it, and no, and then I I trust that even if that, you know, turns a person off momentarily, or they haven't, or hurts their feelings a little bit, or whatever, that the relationship is strong enough that we'll be fine, and that there's a potentially an initial reaction, but then long-term Um, the relationship is actually healthier and that person actually trusts me more because I'm honest. Because if you say yes all the time, the yes loses its value because you have no no to contrast yes. Uh, This article tells stories of, of, um, it starts off, I think, talking about one woman who just says yes to everything and uh, they also piece out um, that... Kind of exactly what I was just talking about. That without no, you can't really say yes. So your your, um, your yes actually now has meaning. You know when a boundary... And this was interesting too. Like, uh, like an internal experience too. So working with dogs is a very intuitive thing. And I often coach people, you know, if you're in a situation and you're not sure if it's this or that or whatever, like, go with your gut. Um, It says, you know, when a boundary is being pushed because you can feel it in your stomach. And uh, it's important. It's really important. And it's important, you know, for ourselves and taking care of ourselves. Because if you can't take care of yourself, you really can't take care of anyone else. You know how they say that like in relationships? So I have a story that um is a a, from a private lesson that I did several years ago, actually now when I used to be, when I used to travel to people's homes and it was about uh, a woman who really was complicated about um, telling her dog no. And so I'm going to probably not, uh, and then I'm I'm reading this actually, this is from my book and I'm not going to read all of it, but, uh, give you a sense of it so this was about um, I went to this uh, woman's house she and her husband were there and they had a, a, a five and a half month old golden doodle and one of their biggest concerns he was just a goofy puppy five and a half months you know in the throes of teething on the on the brink of adolescence and you know really nice sweet dog nice temperament goofball um really kind of out of control though jumped on guests got you know got up on the tables was just there were no spatial boundaries at all and that was why they were having me out was they were like oh my gosh you know we love this we love this little guy and he's great but he's all over the place and we have no boundaries so uh okay so let's see it was um I went to West Seattle for these guys, and um, Chester, a five-and-a-half-month-old puppy, just about to hit adolescence. And um, Jessica and Jack, the couple, had two um, adolescent kids, so this was technically their third adolescent. And Jessica didn't waste any time rattling off her questions and concerns while her husband sat and listened for most of the 90 minutes that I was there. We were sitting at their table in their kitchen. He was very present and engaged the whole time and shared a lot of the questions that his wife had, but he definitely took a backseat in the conversation. Jessica read me her list, as I often have clients do when we meet for the first time, is to just make a list of all your questions, all your concerns, anything about the dog, anything, you know, not just training behavior related. So she went on to tell me about Chester's mouthing, his jumping on people, stealing socks, jumping up on counters and tables, even while they ate, or while she prepared food. And these are all common behaviors I hear from people, and certainly common for a dog just crossing into adolescence. Chester was all over the place. There was a lot of ground to cover to get Jessica and Jack up to speed about how dogs communicate and experience the world to clarify what Chester needed to be happy and well-mannered. The conversation led us to the topic of consequences and how for certain behaviors, sometimes a dog just needs to be clearly communicated with to not do whatever the undesirable behavior is. So hence, no, right? Just fundamentally, that quality of communication. No, don't do that. One of Chester's biggest challenges was jumping on people when they walk through the front door. And I found one of the most effective ways to negate this behavior behavior and therefore have it extinguished is a trick that I learned from a John Rogerson seminar. And I've actually talked about this specifically on the show before. So you walk through the door and um, the dog jumps on you and he's excited, you know, this is assuming that the dog is really excited to see you and jumping on is a really, he has a really creative way of providing a consequence. And I've found this to be very effective. So jumping on guests is a great context for this. If we think from the jumping dog's perspective, what is the most valuable thing to them when someone comes through the door that they're really excited about? Well, the person. So the person walks through the door, the dog runs over excitedly and jumps all over the person. What is the dog's focus? The person coming through the door. What does the dog want? Interaction with that person. So rather than doing something to the dog to correct the behavior, like squirting him with a squirt bottle or shuffling your feet into him, um, when there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, I just haven't found those to be effective when the dog is so excited Uh, so picture it person walks in the door the dog bounds over excitedly and jumps on the person hi as soon as the dog's paws touch your body you exclaim no and abruptly run out the door and I've done this with a lot of dogs and It's uh, it's very effective. So the uh, first time the dog usually will maybe go like go to the door and be like, where did you go? You know what? You know what? They they're really like, what just happened? Sometimes dogs back away from the door. But they're definitely thinking about what happened. What I see when I come back inside is the dog usually comes over a little more cautiously, but oftentimes still jumps again do the same thing. I exclaim no. As soon as those paws touch my body again, I fly out the door, wait about 20 seconds, and come back in. So after the second repetition, the dog is now thinking, okay, there's something about when I jump that's causing this, and now they're really starting to think about how to avoid this from happening again. As soon as I re-enter the house each time, I praise the dog calmly for a good off. Off means all four paws on the ground. And acknowledge, um, you know, if the dog offers a sit or something else, I'll tell them, oh, that's so good. I'm not telling the dog that he can't greet me. I'm asking him not to jump on me. That's the line. I'm ready at any time to exclaim no and run out the door if the dog jumps up again. But my experience has been that it only takes usually two or three repetitions in that initial session for the dog to quit jumping. And then the sessions need to be repeated for it to really kind of, you know, sink in. And every dog is different with how many repetitions and sessions and all that before they get it. Some dogs, it's once or twice and they never do it again. Other dogs, especially puppies, you know, it can take more, more time and repetition and doing it with more than one different person and all that. So that's just one way that dogs vary. So you'll probably have to repeat this again the next time, you know, later that day or the next day and you're walking through the door. The dog's not necessarily going to remember, but they're going to have the past experience to connect it to. And then you'll want to have your guests follow this protocol as well to generalize so that the dog understands the rules apply to everyone. So there's a lot, uh, you know, this is a great thing. I've talked about this before on the show. It's really effective. My favorite aspect is that it puts pressure on the dog to make a different choice and exercise some restraint, even when they're excited. And that's really the function of consequences, is that it makes makes us think. You know, I think I've given this example before, like uh, the school zones that have fo- the photo-enforced speed things, and it goes down to 20 miles an hour when the lights are flashing, and when they put them in, in an area when it's new, and this happened to me years ago when it was new. I'm driving down the road going 28 in a 30. So I wasn't speeding, but I didn't notice that they had put this photo-enforced thing in, and, um, and so it was 20 mile an hour speed limit during that time because the lights were flashing. And I got a ticket in the mail for $250. And so I did not do that again. (laughs) It was an effective consequence. So It didn't matter what song was on the radio or how distracted I was, you know, going through my day. I'm just driving from point A to point B. I remember, and so does everybody else, because everybody else slows way down more so than they even need to, because the consequence was effective. So in this case, the person that the dog is so excited to see leaves when... He jumps on them. So the dog is like, dang, I better figure this out and not do that. So it's asking them. It's actually engaging the brain in a different way in consequence versus in praise. You aren't doing the work for the dog. The dog is the one making a different choice. So I went through this all with them and demonstrated it and... Chester was definitely, uh, you know, like, whoa, you know, he like got kind of pouty and, you know, was like, oh, my gosh, okay, I'm not going to jump. And I'm not sure. And then I was really telling him what I liked and what I did want him to do. And because I want dogs to be confident in this context as well. But I also was letting him know, don't jump. So I could see that his mom was kind of grappling with what she just witnessed. And in our conversation about it, she shared that she was concerned that Chester felt rejected. And I've heard this a lot. She pouted her face to make a frown as she stuck her lower lip out and like a an, oh, expression as she looked at her puppy, who was once overly rambunctious and now lying quietly on the floor in the middle of us all. But I found it to be especially interesting because the very behavior she had me come over to help them extinguish was now gone, and the naughty jumping puppy was showing his ability to control himself and interact in a more grounded way. But now the owner felt conflicted, but I don't want him to feel bad. So, you know, and I've I've had this, these kinds of conversations a lot with people, so I acknowledged her feeling and then shared my perspective that, and this is an important clarification, that the dog doesn't feel rejected in general. And this is where I think we bring our complication as people into this. Because what do we, we make things mean other things all the time. We're really good at it too, like in not a good way. <laughs> so this this thing happened and then we make it mean this or that often about ourselves. um, And so the dogs don't, take things so personally that we do they just get it's more about the actual behavior so Chester doesn't feel rejected in general he doesn't have a story about why he's been rejected he's not thinking about all the reasons why he believes he's not good enough likely based off of his experience as a young dog and his family and you know Chester's not human so the question, are his feelings hurt? I can't say that I know the answer to that, but if they are, like... If he's like, whoa, you know, what just happened? Or if it, if he's like, wow, like, you know, like a little rocked by it initially, that's just... It's just making him pay attention. So it's just the nature of the correction. It's a necessary way. Um, Did Chester experience you know, a negative consequence as a result of an undesirable behavior that he didn't like? Definitely. That's why it worked. And it's okay. So dogs absolutely experience emotion. So if it's, you know, a rude awakening for Chester to have the experience that his actions made someone leave, then that's just how it needs to be. Um, We are, after all, negating that behavior. All that needs to happen after this for us to immediately interact with the dog around what he's doing well. So actually, most of our time and attention is spent letting him know what we like. Um, You know, good off, good off, good off, calm, you know, keeping ourselves really calm. That's what I like. That's what I like. That's what works for you. That's what I like. And then when he jumps, just no. So the consequences are just kind of there when we need them. But then most of our attention is into what we want. And so... The um, Jessica, the client, acknowledged that she was probably projecting some of her own fear of rejection onto the dog, which I think was accurate. And when she said this, I saw her husband smile knowingly. The other thing we acknowledged was her role as a mother and her strong instinct to nurture. Chester is a young animal and what is natural and easy for many people to do with a baby is to nurture Especially women, but men also. But the what only nurturing does is it reinforces everything and doesn't let them feel the security of an authority figure and there's no limits that are being set. If a dog is being praised and given affection all the time, then both desirable and undesirable behaviors are being reinforced. There are no limits. The young dog, therefore, doesn't feel the powerful presence of an established adult who defines boundaries, which is ultimately upsetting to them in this big human world. Jenny understood this intellectually, but was still having a hard time connecting with actually setting the boundary. She was so attached to the soft, nurturing side of herself that she couldn't connect to a different quality of energy, the quality of energy required to effectively communicate, don't do that again, and I mean it. Because uh, correction, we bring a different energy to that communication than we do praise. And for a lot of people, that's um, kind of foreign to them. They're, they're just not practiced, and it's therefore uncomfortable, or they have specific reasons why they're uncomfortable with that. So I thought for a moment on where that strong energy may live in her, And then I asked her to imagine what she would do if she saw someone hurting her children. And she replied, Mama Bear. And there, there it is. And that really helped her to get it because this was a way for her to connect with her authentic power. One of the most dangerous situations to find yourself in with animals in the wild is in between a mother and her young. Especially if the mother feels your presence is a threat to her young. There's a reason why Mama Bear is a saying. So, you know, women can be absolutely powerful in in a more feminine way, assuming, you know, I mean, that brings up a whole lot. I'm not going to get into that right now, but um, we don't generally equate femininity with with powerful. It's not synonymous with powerful by definition, which I think is uh, questionable. We can be incredibly effective in setting boundaries, but we have to be clear and confident about the boundary we are setting and relatively comfortable in setting it. Otherwise, the animal that we're trying to correct won't buy it, whether it be dogs, children, spouses, coworkers. So one of the things I've seen in get in women's way and being assertive is having their own permission. Uh, you're valuable and deserve to be heard and deserve to, you know, say no where you feel it's appropriate and necessary. And so these are the kinds of like in really interesting why I focus so much in my book and sometimes on the show and just really uh, think a lot about this human factor to working with dogs because it comes up a lot when I'm working with people and their dogs Um, I love working with people and dogs. I love bridging the two species and coaching people and clarifying some things for people that they didn't know. A lot of, you know, I just worked with a woman this morning who said, um, you know, she came to me with real questions about, you know, uh, like, oh, no, like, don't, don't ever correct the dog. Don't ever correct the dog. And it was because of the trainer that she had worked with before. And this dog is doing some dangerous behaviors and and i was like no absolutely like that's a that's an appropriate um context to let the dog know you know to let them feel that presence from you no don't do that that's rude or that's you know not okay or whatever that's necessary we need dogs to you know be well behaved and not aggressive not robots i mean i'm not people are often um surprised when they meet our dogs because they think that our dogs are going to be so perfect and they're really not I don't want perfect dogs I love dogs with big personality and 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 you know challenge and they they get away with a lot with us and we love them and, and our relationship works for us but fundamental boundaries and respect need to be in place and I think of it more of a parent parental role Forget about the word alpha, because who knows really what that means, what you eat first and go through doorways first, and that makes you the leader. It would be nice if it was really that simple, but it's not. So this issue is no longer available on the stands, but you can find it online, psychologytoday.com, if you wanted to read that whole article about know how to stand up for yourself even when it hurts. And... I thought the article was okay. Didn't really rock my world. The first one was better. I thought that they did. And that was years ago. Uh, But it is an interesting, I mean, generally an interesting topic. And there's a lot, a lot out there about it. So I encourage you to sort of reflect on that. And if you have hesitation and setting some real basic boundaries with your dog, like, think about it. And maybe why do you feel the way that you feel? And Maybe there's ways that you can work on getting more comfortable. There's definitely one thing dogs are, and that is very good judges of where you're coming from. It's hard to fake it. So if you try to set a boundary, but you're not confident or you're not comfortable, you don't really feel like um, you feel guilty about it or whatever, they're going to know. And just as a side note, because this is really up- in the dogs that we're working with, we're working with a number of dogs and have over the years anyway, but we have a few that we, that were just with us who we are rehabilitating after being worked with too harshly by other trainers. So I am, const, you know, frequently frustrated with how the dog training industry at large lacks any sort of information on how to, you know, how to equip people to effectively set boundaries in a way that's appropriate and fair. But there are also trainers out there that are too harsh and abusive. And if you are working, if you meet with somebody and, and you and they're doing something that you're not comfortable with, for you know, forget about your complications around boundaries. But if you feel like it's too rough, it's too physical. So I'm talking about violence. Um, they're, you know, uh jerking on the leash really, really, really hard. If you're not comfortable with that, that's a place for you to say no also is to the individual. Or if you have a concern about something that a trainer's doing and you ask them about it and they don't give you a satisfactory answer and they don't validate your concern, go elsewhere. So I am not also an advocate of people who have no finesse and no skill and just strong arm and use violence to get dogs to do stuff, too. It doesn't work well. It ends up traumatizing dogs, and it sucks. So that's another way also. I just wanted to say that because we're there's somebody in the Seattle area. I'm not going to mention him by name, uh, but he and his company, um, we uh, regularly work with dogs who have been sort of trashed by him. And um, people oftentimes, they don't have a good feeling about it, but they – you know, this is a, this is a professional and they need help. And so they kind of keep going along with it. And there was something inside them that they really weren't comfortable with. Listen to that and especially question it. Cause that's a good way. Cause sometimes people question, you know, what we're doing, especially when we're talking about consequences. And I always validate their concern that they should be concerned around consequences. And that I will, we will not do anything that they are not comfortable with. So that's a good test also is like if you question it, what's the response that you get? Um, Okay. so interestingly enough, in this issue of psychology today, the big headline was no. Well, this was October of 2017. There's also a part called Is Your Dog a Genius? And there's uh, four different contributors, two of which I've interviewed on the show, which is always fun for me to see. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that when we come back. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the dog show with Julie Forbes. My name is No, my son is No, my number is No. You need to let it go. You need to let it go. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. You know I love my pop music.
0: <laughs> That's right. Well, we spent uh, a good segment of the show talking about that article that teaches people, hopefully, how to say no when they need to. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't always say no, obviously. but. Uh, <laughs> and you drew that uh, correlation between uh, that uh, people psychology to uh, how people sometimes have a tough time saying no to their dogs as well.
1: Yeah. Yep. You know, our relationship with our dogs for us, and I would say certainly to a degree for dogs, as they are dogs, is an emotionally intimate one. And certainly for people, which means that we bring all of our emotional complication to our relationship with our dogs. You know, dogs aren't as complicated coming back to us, which I think is why we just love being around them so much. And it's like, oh, you're not judging me. You're not criticizing me. You're just, you know, they're such good listeners because they're not verbal. Um, So they're less complicated in that way. And it really is refreshing. And they also really give us an opportunity to work on some of this stuff. Posture. Uh, I love, you know, when you're, using your body to communicate with your dog, whether it's in in the context of training or just working with living with a dog and maybe setting some spatial boundaries and really getting in your body and being aware of how you're holding yourself and how you're communicating with your dog physically, how dogs really require us when you're working with them to slow down and be more present, not talk so much. You know, stuff moves real fast these days, you know, and I think I mean, I'm extroverted and have ADD, and and uh, you know, I my mind moves pretty fast anyway, and I can I can uh, I like a lot of information and a lot of action, but it's over it's an overstimulating world, you know, and the world with our animals is so is so amazing and refreshing, and it's such a it's such a great you know emotional connection. So, I thought is your dog a genius? I assumed it was going to be Brian Hare because of his show on national geographic that I talked to him about a few years ago called is your dog a genius but it's not at all it's about four other people who are in the world of canine science and uh, so there's four different um, contributions kind of four different smaller articles one Stanley Corrin who's been around for a long time he has One of his books was one of the first I read back in the day when I was, um, I think it was in the 90s, Uh, The Intelligence of Dogs. And I interviewed him about his book, The Modern Dog. Really interesting conversation. Stanley Coren, uh, Rosalind Arden, who I'm not familiar with, and Mark Backoff with love, he's had on he's been on a couple times. He does a lot of work around animals and emotion and play behavior and then Hara Estrof Marano, who I'm not familiar with. So I actually um I was sort of annoyed by the first part of Dr. Corin's article, not anything against him. I think his his work is great. Um and I've had him on the show but it, and I think he's more speaking to the culture of science, but it just comes up a lot. Like, I have a science degree. I love science. I've talked about all sorts of, you know, veterinary geneticists, nutrigenomics, uh, the chemistry of nutrition, neuroscience. The guy, um, Gregory Burns, who they a- actually reference in the fourth um, contribution here, who did the work on um, brain scans and training dogs to go into MRI machine Temple Grandin, of course. You know, I love science. I'm a big fan of science. And I kind of get annoyed sometimes because they're like, well, I'll just read it. I'll just read it. Some scientists argue that. Um, no, wait a minute. Uh, okay. If you want to start an argument among psychologists, behavioral biologists, and next, next door neighbor dog owners, just ask the question, do dogs understand and use language? The argument tends to focus on whether dogs understand the words and expressions that humans use. A related concern is whether dogs use their various barks, growls, whines, and whimpers combined with tail wags, body postures, and ear positions to communicate with people as well as one another. Is this really a concern for anybody? Whether dogs use their various barks, growls, whines, and whimpers combined with tail wags, body postures, and ear positions to communicate with people as well as with one another. I think his point is that, you know, if if you want to start an argument between some scientists and your average dog, you know, person who lives with a dog, they're going to say the person who lives with the dog and me. Well, I would agree. Ov- obviously, dogs are communicating with us with their various barks, growls, whines and whimpers combined with tail wags, body postures and ear positions. Obviously but you got to love science kind of needing to break everything down and, and do experiments. And I do, I love science, but sometimes it's like, really, do we really need to study this or question it that much? Um, anyway, he talks about, um, and there was another thing too. Okay. So it just brings up a lot of conversation. We're talking about dogs intelligence. Well, define intelligence. First of all, um, Basically, the theme, you know, and I just ran my interview with John Pilly um, and Chaser the Border Collie last week, and they referenced those guys also in this. So amazing. Chaser the dog who's learned over a thousand words. Amazing. This is not just identifying um, items. She's actually learned like language in a way, verbal language. It kind of talks about the difference between like, well, intelligence, mental ability and and kind of trying to measure that. But there's so many factors, which is kind of the point that that they are more complex than I think they get credit for. I, I would say one of the best examples that I could give or one of the biggest factors and there are many. And of course, there's some dogs are smarter than others to simply say some dogs are smarter than others there are different forms of intelligence for sure. So just like people, we have a certain um, certain type of intelligence that's valued more in our society, that's more linear thinking, um, and that's, that's some, another conversation. But there's difference in indi- uh, individuals' um, history of training also. So dogs that have been worked with before do better in training than dogs that have not been engaged with in that way. There's certainly emotional components if the dog is stressed or has been traumatized or, you know, experiencing some emotional complication. It's going to get in their way of learning and therefore they're going to score, you know, not as high in and in an intelligence test. I think that's obvious. Um, and then also so they're talking about like different parts of the brain and dog's ability to show self-restraint um, and one of the things that they really end on is um, whether dogs have uh, an, an awareness of how you're feeling versus how they are feeling. And they say that that science shows more and more yes, and that is discovered through studying play behavior in dogs. So anyway, thank you to Psychology Today for focusing on the word no again. And thank you for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes.
0: You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.